Morning. Welcome back. No, I haven't once been gone. <laughs> Thought you'd catch that probably right away. I'm going to jump right in and give you this title and then the introduction uh, slides. And then I'm going to come back and say a couple of things. Pause for just a moment and say a couple of things. And kind of explain, explain sort of the impetus for this lesson this morning. So the title of our lesson this morning is The Rock That Is Higher Than I... And I have Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4. And some of you that are more familiar may be saying, now wait a minute, the rock that is higher than I is not quoted in Deuteronomy chapter 32. You're right. <laughs> it's actually quoted in Psalm 61. We'll get there in a minute. David is going to say that. Now I asked Mark if he wanted to read that. And he said, normally, normally I'm the one that gives Mark these double assignment types that We'll get to Psalm 62 in just a moment. But the reason why I use Deuteronomy 32 here is because it's Moses. And that's when that concept of God being the rock is first introduced. And later, David will actually be reflecting upon this truth that is revealed there. So we'll get there in a couple of minutes here. So, what comes to mind whenever you think about God? What immediately comes to your mind? And the image that we have influences our relationship with God. It influences all of our life. So there's actually two points. Now, Edwin, in his lesson, when he preached a couple weeks ago, he said, I have this three-point lesson. Now, I'm not trying to mix things up, so let me explain. This is actually kind of two halves to this lesson. First half, we'll kind of focus in on what do you know about God? And I just want you to think about that. What do you know about God? What comes to mind whenever somebody mentions God or God's name? And then the second part is God the rock provides protection. So I'm going to just pull that up and leave that there for a moment and then back up. And I want to say thanks to Edwin for covering for me a couple of weeks ago in his lesson on Jacob. I listened to it while I was gone. Good job with that. Kind of a different perspective. Now Jacob was trying to kind of grasp at God's through God's blessings through his own methods, so to speak. Good job. And then Colby preached uh, last week and talking about priorities, top priority in our life and making room for God and making that an emphasis and reading and studying and trying to grow and so forth. So, Appreciate that. I do not see Daniel this morning, but y'all had a singing on that Wednesday night, and Daniel kind of led the singing and so forth, so I appreciate that. And then I don't see Brian either, and he did a study on uh, Wednesday evening, I believe. Okay, so I wanted to make sure I tell everybody thanks for covering for me. Now then, what was I thinking about while I was on vacation? <laughs> uh... Yes. Uh, so we've been studying in Corinthians and we've been studying in Second Chronicles. A lot of times I draw a lesson from there. But I was in Florida, so I'm or on the way too. And so I'm kind of thinking about other things. And I'm going to tell you three things that happened while we were gone that kind of stuck out in my mind, stuck with me. And the reason for this lesson, the rock that is higher than I. First experience encounter was this. Two weeks ago on Sunday morning, we went to a congregation out in the country, not far from Gold City, Kentucky. Ever heard of it? <laughs> well, there's probably a reason that you haven't. It's just sort of a wide spot in the road. 
but there's a church that has been just outside of town there for a long time. It's called the Bethany Church of Christ. The reason why that kind of stuck in my mind is that particular morning, one of the deacons actually preached and gave the lesson. They had lost another deacon and an elder's wife, like within a week's span of time. So that congregation, you could kind of feel it was a congregation in mourning that day. And that kind of stuck in my mind as we had a chance to worship with them that morning. Then the, third, the next uh, week, when we had made our way down to Florida, we went to the Naples Church of Christ. And on Wednesday evening, there were two evangelists that were there that were actually didn't have a regular Bible study, so to speak. And they gave a report because they had come back from Ghana. And they had slides and everything. It was very interesting. People extremely poor in that country. And they gave that report, but how they were finding joy, of course, through Jesus Christ. And so it was interesting. That stuck in my mind. Now here's the third one that I'll tell you about just a little later. This one really stuck in my mind. Doesn't everybody go shopping on their vacation? (laughs) Well, we did. (laughs) So we go to the Coastland Mall. Very nice mall. We're walking through there. I'm waiting kind of, we've been at this one store. I'm waiting on my wife. There's a young lady that approaches me, kind of starts talking to me. I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Missouri across the front. Okay. So she asked me, are you on vacation? It's like, how'd you guess? Right. (laughs) So we kind of start talking and she says, I'm from Missouri. I said, really? She said, Branson. I just moved here from Branson. I said, so have you always lived in Missouri? She goes, no, I grew up in Israel. I said, really? I said, well, that's interesting. I'm going to tell you the rest of that conversation in a few moments, but I will leave you with this teaser. In the course of our conversation, she told me, I'm from the tribe of Levi. I was like, whoa, we got to get back to this. (laughs) So those were the things that kind of happened that stuck in my mind. And I want you to think about that. How does that relate to the rock that is higher than I? So now I ask you this question. What comes to your mind whenever God's name comes up or when somebody mentions God. J.W. Phillips in his book, Your God is Too Small, he said that sometimes people think about God and whenever His name is mentioned, they think about this sort of Santa Claus in the sky. And if you've been good, He's going to bring you what you want. Some people, whenever they think about God, they think about their kindly grandfather and He just loves you no matter what. And some people, when you mention God, they think of a police officer that's just waiting to see, catch you doing something wrong. And he said, so people have all kinds of concepts about God. But what we've got to do is we've got to base our concept of God on what He has revealed. And so does God want a relationship with me? Does God care about me?
And as we search the scriptures, we come to find out that's exactly the truth about him. That God does care about me. That God does want a relationship with me. And that he has revealed himself within scripture so that we might know how to relate to him. So that we might have a relationship with him. So this morning, I want you to think along those lines. So this morning, am I giving you any answers? Well, I hope I give you some answers. But really the goal of this lesson is not to just give answers. The goal of this lesson is to cause us to think about what comes to mind whenever we stop and we think about God. It was A.W. Tozer, a well-known Christian writer, said that the one of the most important things about us is what we think whenever we think about God. Because that influences every aspect about us. It influences the way I think about myself. It influences the way I think about others. It's the way it influences the way I think about morality. It's the way it influences the way I think about life. It influences the way I think about eternity. What comes to your mind whenever God is mentioned? So Deuteronomy chapter 32, I want you to think about that. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3 and 4, where Mark read for us earlier. This is the new King James Version. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Moses says, among other things. I want just that phrase to stick out for a moment. That he is the rock. I'm going to give you another illustration. I'm going to give you a series of illustrations this morning. And once again, the reason for that is not to just give illustrations, but the reason for that is to cause us to think along those lines. What do you think about when you think about God? What do other people think about when they think about God? So there was a middle-aged man that was away from home because of work, staying in a hotel. He wanted to go to worship on Sunday morning. The neighborhood that was close by, and there was a church there, was an extremely wealthy neighborhood. That Sunday morning, as he was kind of searching for the church building and driving through this neighborhood, he thought to himself, if I took everything I owned, if I took all the money out of the bank account that I, my bank account that I have, I could not buy a lot in this neighborhood, let alone build a house here. When he finally found the building, he said it was a magnificent structure. And he went in and he sat down and he's looking around and he's thinking to himself, I am probably the only person that is in attendance this morning that's not a multi-millionaire. And he thought to himself, what is this going to be like? And then he said much to his surprise, as worship started that morning, the very first thing they did 
is they sang a song. And he said at the conclusion of that song, the last line, the song leader paused. He said, and then he led them in these words. And he said they all sang it in unison. He said, like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. Isn't that amazing? All these extremely wealthy people, and they sang those words together. Seeking things. And he said he thought to himself, with everything that they have, all the luxuries and pleasures that the world has to offer, they have it. But yet they recognize these things do not satisfy. They are not the ultimate answer. So I want to read to you from 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. Because Paul talks about, over in 1 Timothy 6, he talks about those who are wealthy. And I kind of want to make a, a point here because sometimes I think we maybe misconstrue this and what Paul is what Paul is actually saying here. First Timothy, get the right book. Timothy's after Thessalonians. Right? <laughs> okay. You know, I, I told you once before what Homer Haley used to say. He goes, the reason why I memorize Scripture is because I can't find it when I go to look for it. <laughs> so that's kind of the way it is. First Timothy, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. Paul says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing... With these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many a sorrows. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works and ready to give and willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. See, sometimes when we think about the wealthy, when we think about the rich, and we think, well, that's, that's like wrong. <laughs> that's not what Paul says. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What Paul is saying is, your first love is God. Your first love is Jesus Christ. Don't make money your first love. And then he goes on to say and tell them what the wealthy should do and that they can have a good foundation and that they can lay hold of eternal life. What Paul is saying, it's not wrong to have money. It's just you've got to know how to use it. 
And that's what that man was saying. He was amazed. They sang that song together. Recognizing those things are not what satisfy in life. Don't trust money because it can be gone. Put your trust in God. So as we take a look at the Scriptures and we notice the words that God uses to describe Himself, sometimes He talks about self as a king. Sometimes He talks about self as a shepherd. Sometimes He talks about self as a warrior who will fight for you. Sometimes he calls himself a rock. Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, is Moses. And this is the first time in Scripture where that word rock is used in reference to God. And so as we take, a, take into consideration, think about Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 through 4. And you think about Moses speaking those words at this particular time and you kind of put it into context. Why would he choose to use that description at this particular time? Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 and 34. 3, 3, 4. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His words are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is He. And we read that and we go, wow. That's quite a description about God, isn't it? And then He adds that phrase. He is the rock. Why? A little bit of background. They had dwelt in Egypt. For generations. They had lived among a people who were pagan worshiping, idol worshiping people. The gods that the Egyptians worshiped would be described by Paul in Romans chapter 1. They exchanged the knowledge of the Creator and exchanged it into a creature. Their gods were birds and animals, snakes and creeping things. Those were the gods of the Egyptians. And God had brought them out. And He had delivered them to Sinai. And He is going to enter into a covenant relationship with them. And as He does that, He's revealing Himself. After almost 400 years in Egyptian bondage, God is now present, active, revealing Himself among His people. By the works that He has done, by the miracles that He has performed, by the words that Moses is speaking to them, through the law, through the priesthood, through the sacrifices, through the worship that He is giving them, God is revealing His self to them. He's building an image in their minds. And what does the second commandment of the Ten Commandments say? Thou shalt bear no 
graven images. Why? Because God is revealing himself to them. Can we see that? I'm going to give you the image that you ought to have when Yahweh is mentioned. Can we see that? And he says, he's the rock. Deuteronomy 32 is a time when Moses is just about to pass from the scene. His life is going to soon be over. His tenure, so to speak, as leading the children of God is about to come to an end. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land and one of the things that he tells them is God is a rock. You can build your life. You can build your families. You can build your nation on this God. Because these truths about Him being just and all of His works being perfect and that He is always that way, you can count on it. You can count on it. He's great. He's perfect. He's just. He's faithful. He's upright. He does no wrong. And He will always be that way. You know, it's kind of interesting as you stop and think. Now, I'll bring up a landmark here. Colby, being a history teacher, could probably tell you about this. Some of you may have seen this landmark. Have you ever been out in western Nebraska? I know that's not a big tourist draw. (laughs) And if you see the commercials that they have on TV, it kind of makes me scratch my head. Do you see that where the people are floating down the river in these galvanized tubs? Have you seen that? (laughs) And they say, Nebraska, it's not for everybody. I'm like, you're right. (laughs) But if you've ever been out in western Nebraska, there's a famous trail. It's called the Oregon Trail. There's a landmark out there. You know which one it is? Chimney Rock. Thousands of pioneers, as this country was growing and expanding, passed that way. There was a landmark. Chimney Rock. You see that Chimney Rock? It's there. It's always there. You're headed in the right direction. Keep your eye on it. You think about the children of Israel. It takes about two weeks to get from Egypt to Canaan. You know how long it took them? Forty years. They were basically doing circles in the wilderness. Do you ever think they passed by a rock formation more than once? And they thought to themselves, we've been here before. The sand may have shifted a little. Maybe there's a little different vegetation around. But that rock, it's right there. And it's just like it was the last time we came this way. 
So you see what God was telling them through Moses? When you think about me, yes, I'm just, I'm upright. (laughs) My works are perfect. And I'm a rock. Same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. It's always the same. His laws are always the same. You can count on it. You can build your life on it. It's your foundation. Don't forget it. So we ask ourselves, as you think about that, God is a rock. God wanted them to build their life on that rock. So we have to ask ourselves, are we building our life on that rock? Matthew 24. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know, life brings all kinds of challenges, doesn't it? Financial gain and financial loss. Children are born and people grow old and die. Governments come and go. Stock market rises and it falls. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, when all those things come into your life, when all those things come into a person's life, what's their life built on? And sometimes when those challenges come, people are crushed. Look for the rock. The rock that is higher than I. God, the rock, provides protection. Now I want to turn to Psalms, the 31st chapter, because in the book of Deuteronomy, that's that's Moses. But when you come to Psalms, When you come to Psalms, it's David. So Psalm 31, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 31. Beginning at verse 1. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now, as you read from David, he also refers to him as a rock. And when we, we study David's life, remember that? First Samuel, Second Samuel. And all the troubles that he went through. 
and how Saul chased him from time to time and threatened his life and all the troubles that David had in his own family and how Absalom, his own son, chased him from the palace and even from the city. Twice in this context, he refers to God as his rock and then as his refuge and as his fortress. So let me ask you this. What came to David's mind when he thought about God? He states it, doesn't he? He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. And you think about all that David went through. Saul chasing him, wanting to kill him. Him losing a son. Another son chasing him and wanting to kill him. And so yet he calls God his rock and his refuge and his fortress. I'm sure that as David traveled around the area in the deserts and so forth around Jerusalem, that there were times when they hid in those caves. I'm sure that there were times that he hid behind rocks from his enemy. I'm sure that there was times when he was on top of those big rocks where he could see his enemy. And so David experienced all of those things. And so in this psalm, he says that God is his rock, he is his refuge, he is his fortress. When Moses made reference to God, it was like a foundation. When David references God, it's like protection. It's a stronghold in times of trouble. Jeremiah, the 16th chapter, about verse 19, Jeremiah says, O Lord, my strength. Remember all the persecution that Jeremiah went through? (laughs) Just before Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. O Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. They persecuted him. He was the weeping prophet. (laughs) They threw him in a pit. They locked him in stockades. (laughs) And Jeremiah says, he's my strength. He's my fortress. What Jeremiah think of when he talk about God? Luke, the 23rd chapter and verse 46. Jesus hanging on the cross. He says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He's quoting from Psalms 31. You can take my life, you can take my body, but you can't take my soul. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the rock that he's standing on. Bible declares that Satan is an enemy of our souls. He's always prowling. He's always pursuing. He's wanting to rob us of joy and peace, drive a wedge between us and God. The scripture says he's our rock. He's our refuge. So when we find ourselves in trouble, what do we think of when we think about God? 
when we find ourselves with enemies. We think about God and He's our refuge. When we've wandered away from Him. What do we think about when we think about God? When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What will we think about when we think about God? I want to point out something from Psalms 31. I think the whole psalm is important, but point out a couple of things from verse 2 and verse 3. In Psalms 31 and verse 2, David says, Be my rock of refuge. And as you read that entire psalm, when he first says that, it's almost like he's asking, God, will you be? Will you be my rock of refuge? But then in verse 3 he says, You are my rock of refuge. And so as you study that psalm, you kind of stop and think for a moment and say, Now wait a minute, David, which one is it? Are you asking God to be your rock? Or are you telling God that you understand that He's your rock? One commentator explained it this way, which I think is, is accurate. I think what David is saying is, I want to know by experience what I know by faith. I want to know by experience what I know by faith. When you find yourself in trouble, when you find yourself facing difficulties, when you find yourself facing death, what do you know by faith? And now what do you know by experience? Follow what I'm saying? Follow what David has said? What he's saying is, now you take what has been revealed and you make application to your situation. You see that? God's Word applied to my life. Now He's my rock. Now He's my refuge. Now He's my stronghold. Now he's my fortress. That's what David said. I want to know, Lord, help me to experience, to make application of what I understand by faith, what I know by faith. Psalms 61 Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my shelter for me, a strong tower against the enemy. It's David once again. And he's saying, when I'm facing all those challenges in life, 
when I feel like I'm just totally overwhelmed, Lord, this is what I want. Lead me to that rock. The rock that is higher than I. David says, I want to experience what I know. Can we see that? Back to the beginning. Three experiences from our vacation. Subtitle to this lesson, what did you do on your summer vacation? (laughs) Well, the first one is the church at Bethany. James says, Life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. They were experiencing that that morning. The deacon was younger. The elder's wife was older. But ask anybody there or ask those who had passed Life came and it was gone. Just just that quick. So what would you tell those people? Lead me to the rock. That's higher. And so in Naples, sat and listened to these men that had been in Ghana. And they talked about how desperately poor these people were. They showed some slides and so forth. And there were some of the young girls, young women. They would wear their very best when they would come to worship. You know, you know where one congregation was meeting? They were meeting under a tree. <laughs> and they said, rain, sunshine, whatever it was, they would show up. <laughs> they would be there. And he said, they would wear, and he said, it looked like rags. <laughs> but it was the best. <laughs> and a funny part of it, he said, one guy, one guy had one shoe. <laughs> and he would wear that one shoe. <laughs> when he came to worship desperately poor but they're teaching him about Jesus Christ because there's something better than this life we're going to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 before long (laughs) And that's where Paul will talk about Jesus, though he were rich, he became poor, that through his poverty, we might become rich. I thought about that. And that Wednesday evening, I 
And I thought to myself, you know, I live in the U.S. It's not bad. You know, there's a lot of things that could be better. <laughs> it's pretty comfortable. <laughs> and I thought to myself, would I leave here to go live there? And then you think about Jesus Christ. And he left there to come live here. What would you tell those people? Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. So now here's the third one. The young lady at the Coastland Mall in Naples, Florida. So we walk in. My wife's looking around. I'm standing there and the girl walks up and she says, can I help you with something? And I'm like, no, I'm just leaving my wife. And so that's when she says, you know, you're on vacation. How can you tell? <laughs> and so we start to have this little conversation. She tells me that formerly she had lived in Branson, Missouri. And I said, did you always live in Missouri? She goes, no, I grew up in Israel. I said, well, I, I, I grew up in California. In Israel, you had tribes. In California, we had tribes. <laughs> they called them gangs, but not <laughs> <about> that. <laughs> but we were talking. And I said, so you're from Israel. She had the dark hair, the dark eyes, the olive colored skin, all that kind. And she said, yes, I'm Jewish. I said, me too. You got the wrong color eyes for being Jewish. I said, spiritually, I'm a Jew. Romans chapter 2. And she kind of looked at me. I go, so you grew up in Israel. And you're Jewish. And then she says, I'm from the tribe of Levi. I said, well, I didn't say anything. I couldn't breathe from it. <laughs> I'm like, you're from the tribe of Levi? She goes, yeah. I go, I did say this. How do you know that? And she said, my last name is Levi. <laughs> I said, hate to break it to you. But just because your last name, and I'm saying this with a smile, so we're having a cordial conversation. I said, I hate to break it to you, but just because your last name is Levi doesn't mean that you're from the tribe of Levi. She said, it doesn't? I said, no. <laughs> I said, let's back up a minute. <laughs> I said, you know Abraham? She said, oh yeah, I know Abraham. <laughs> I go, he had a son, his name was Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. She goes, yeah, Jacob, I know Jacob. <laughs> he married Leah. And I said, yeah, first. <laughs> and then seven years later, he married Rachel. And she's kind of, and I said, and then there's a couple of concubines. She said, a couple of concubines, what? <laughs> a couple of female servants. And through all of that, <laughs> without going into too much detail, he ended up with, and she finished my sentence, 12 sons. I said, and a daughter. <laughs> and one of them was named Levi. <laughs> that was his first name. 
not his surname. I said, so somewhere along the line in your family lineage, they decided to take Levi as your surname. But that doesn't mean that you're from the tribe of Levi. She goes, oh, okay. I said, have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Titus? And she said, Titus. I said, yeah, he was a Roman general. Ever heard of him? She goes, no. I go, in about 70 AD, Titus led Roman legion to Jerusalem, destroyed it, leveled the temple. That's when the genealogical records were destroyed. That's why it's difficult for anybody to say what tribe they're from. She looked at me and she said, I think you know more about my people than I do. (laughs) I said, it's in the book. She goes, you know, when I was growing up and I was being taught these things, she goes, it was so boring. And I said, honey, let me tell you something. Your lineage is anything but boring. I said, your story is amazing. I said, you said you're from the tribe of Levi. I said, do you know where the priests came from? She goes, oh yeah, Levi. I said, do you know what tribe Jesus was from? She goes, Levi? I said, no. I said, what tribe was your greatest king from? She said, David? I said, yeah, David. What tribe was he from? She goes, I'm not sure. I said, Judah. I said, now do you know what tribe Jesus was from? I said, Judah. I said, now you understand that the law said that the priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus can't be my high priest. He can't be your high priest here on earth. Because the law says the priest had to come from Levi and he's from the tribe of Judah. I said, so you know what had to happen? She goes, no, what? I said, the old law had to be done away. The old covenant had to be done away. And Jesus brought a new covenant. And it's through that covenant that I became a Jew. The same way you can become a spiritual Jew. Just at that moment. Her manager walked up. We've been talking for probably 30 minutes. She said, Jennifer, do you have a minute? Jennifer said, oh, sure. And she went walking away. And so I stood there for a moment. And they talked there by the counter. And then she looked up at me and she kind of raised her eyebrows and smiled. (laughs) And I walked over and I said, do you have a pencil and a paper? She goes, yeah. And I wrote down our website. Wrote down my name. I said, if you ever want to finish the conversation, you can contact us. You can contact me through that website. 
You know what she said? She said, that was interesting. I said, your story is amazing. You really need to learn. Jennifer Levi. Maybe you could pray for her. The Church of Bethany. Lead me to the rock. The people in Ghana. Lead me to the rock. A young... Jewish woman. Lead me to the rock. Psalm 61 and verse 2. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's the lesson. We extend the invitation to you. Are you building your life on the rock? If not, why not do that this very day? You can obey the gospel. You can know that Jesus is your Savior. You can know that He is your rock. If you're a child of God and you need to come back to Him, let us help you while together we stand, while we sing.